Today on The Matt Walsh Show, many on the left have been nobly sermonizing about our civic duty to pay taxes, but they have a very strange and inconsistent view on civic duties and obligations. We'll talk about that today. Also, five headlines, including the media's continued attempts to smear Amy Coney Barrett on the basis that she's a Bible-believing Christian. Imagine that. Plus, the push to lower the voting age to 16. That's a terrible idea for so many reasons. It's difficult to count them all, but we'll try. And in our daily cancellation, we will be canceling grown men who use emojis. I have discovered that this is an, an issue of national interest and importance, and uh, we will talk about that today, all of that on the way. But first, let's talk about our latest sponsor, Thinker. You know, it's important to read. Uh, I really believe that if you become the sort of person who just binge watches TV and scrolls social, social media all day, uh, you'll become dumber. And uh, I, I know that when I go through a phase where I'm not reading much and just watching a lot of TV, I can feel myself getting dumber by the minute. And I don't have a lot of brain power to spare in the first place, as you know. So this is a crisis situation. But the problem is that sometimes it could, be, it could feel like we don't have you know, the time to read and, and, and challenge our minds in that way, even though we probably do have the time given all the TV we're watching. But even so, whether your time constraints are real or imagined, Thinker solves the problem. At thinker.org, they summarize the key ideas from new and noteworthy nonfiction, giving you access to an entire library of great uh, books, but in bite-sized form. So you can read or listen to hundreds of titles in a matter of minutes, from old classics um, to recent bestsellers, everything in between. They even have my book on there. Uh, Thinker offers a, a large variety of titles across many categories, current affairs, politics, business, education, history, relationships. I've been using Thinker for a long time, and uh, it, it's great to get the basic ideas from a nonfiction book, some food for the brain. And also, a lot of times, I'll use it to see if a book is worth investing the time in. You know, I'll use it as kind of a preview of a book before I buy the full thing. Uh, there are a ton of uses for Thinker. You've got to check it out. If you want to challenge your preconceptions, expand your horizon, and become a, a better thinker, go to thinker.org. That's T-H-I-N-K-R.org to start a free trial and download the app today. Let them know you heard about them on the Matt Wall Show, by the way. That's thinker.org. All right. Well, we prepare ourselves today for the debate uh, tonight between Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump. It is, I would say, malpractice on the part of Biden's staff that they're letting him do this in the first place. I was quite sure that the Biden camp would find a reason to pull out. Um, it, it looks like they're, they're not going to. Um, and it's, it's not like they needed a good reason. You know, they, the media has their back. They could just come up with any old excuse to not do the debate. But uh, and, and any excuse, I think, would be better than sending their dementia-riddled candidate uh, into a debate against an opponent who will not follow any predictable script. So it's just the worst possible combination if you're Joe Biden's team. And yet, that's what's going to happen. Now, we can expect, of course, that the issue of Trump's taxes will figure significantly into the discussion tonight. Um, it was designed that way. That's why the Times published it when it did. The media, again, of course, is a propaganda wing of the Democrat Party and is always looking to help their side any way they can. And that's what this whole tax thing is about. Now, as, as we prepare to, to hear a lot about the taxes tonight, I have a couple of other points I want to make on this manufactured controversy and the reaction to it especially. I already argued yesterday that, that Trump legally avoiding taxes, that is simply making sure that he doesn't pay more than is legally required to pay, uh, is not a scandal, not even close to a scandal. It is, if anything, sort of the opposite of a scandal for a man to ensure that the government gets not one dime more than it claims to be owed. But I noticed two things in the reaction to this story. First, uh, it's obvious that there are many Americans 
who don't hate the IRS enough. Now, to the sane and well-adjusted, it seems almost impossible to believe that such a group could exist. People not hating the IRS is like people not hating the idea of being trampled to death by a rampaging moose. I mean, aren't we all proud members of the anti-getting-our-brains-stomped-out-by-large-hooved-animals camp? Uh, but apparently, we don't all value our brains or our money in the same way. In the discussion about the massive scandal of Trump legally avoiding paying more taxes than he owes, many people have reacted with shock and horror at those of us who are quite in favor of citizens paying as little as they can and not a penny more. Um, these people speak nobly of our civic duty to pay taxes, and they profess that they, they have no resentment about chipping in their share. Paying taxes is fun, they come perilously close to saying. This is perverse. You know, there are ads in the personal section on Craigslist that are less pathetic and weird than this. I know we aren't supposed to kink shame, but if your kink is paying taxes, well, you need to seek counseling. Yet, we know the real reason that so many in our country don't experience the appropriate levels of rage when it comes to taxes, rage that should be all the more fiery and righteous, given the fact that the government absorbs over $3 trillion a year in taxes and wastes an enormous portion of it. The reason this doesn't induce the rage that it should is that many of the people who seem basically okay with it actually don't pay income tax. At least they don't actively pay it. The taxes come out of their paycheck automatically. Withheld is the term. Quite painless and easy. And then come tax time, they actually get some of, some of that money back or all of it back. So for the average American, the only direct experience they have with the IRS is when the IRS is giving, quote unquote, them money. Of course, it's their own money they're being given back, money that was taken, held, uh, paid back without interest. But even so, psychologically, emotionally, it feels like a belated Christmas bonus. This is all by design. This is why the withholding system, I believe, is one of the most sinister and dastardly and brilliant schemes ever devised by the government, because it allows them to take, as I said, trillions and trillions of dollars from the American people, squandering billions every year squandering billions of our money, money that, that you could use to buy your child a pair of shoes that he needs or save for a new home or go on a much-needed vacation or anything else, but that the government takes instead and, and essentially incinerates. But it can do this without causing an uproar or a revolution or even any real heartburn in most people simply by helping itself to your paycheck first and then giving you the leftovers. In fact, it can even turn tax time into a happy occasion by giving some of the money it pilfered back to you. This is why if there's any real red pill moment in American life, it's when you get into a line of work where not all or perhaps none of your taxes are withheld. When you actually have to write physical checks to the government, when you feel the loss, when you see it, and then come tax time, if, you're under, if you underestimated your taxes throughout the year, you have to pay even more. This is the awakening. This is the realization. Okay, You begin to Realize just how much the government is actually taking and how little you are getting in return on your investment. And you begin to make calculations and you say to yourself, man, if I didn't have to write this check to the IRS right now, I could do this or that. I could buy this. I could save for that. It's real now. Taxes are real. And you start to understand your relationship to the government. You understand what that relationship actually is. It is one where you give and give and give and give and give and give. Uh, it's, and, and then you give some more. It's very one-sided. And then every pothole you drive over and every piece of pork added to a bill 
becomes a personal affront to you because you say, what the hell am I paying for? Where is the return on my investment? What are you people doing with my money? And that's exactly how you should feel. It's how our founders felt. And it's why this country exists in the first place. But it's not how the government wants you to feel. And they have successfully ensured that many of us don't. Second point, and this is related to the first. Um, my Daily Wire colleague, Emily Zanotti, made this observation. I wish I had thought of it first, to be honest. And frankly, I'm a little offended that I wasn't given the opportunity to think of it first. But at any rate, um, responding to a tweet from a guy who says, real patriots pay taxes, gross, which is exactly the argument that King George made to the colonists, by the way. So we, so we know what side this guy is on. But Emily says, uh, I suppose if you believe this, you should also believe that real patriots should repay their student loans in full, since that's the money they owe the, uh, the government. But I suspect that's going to be a tough sell. This is a great point, because the same people who speak solemnly of our obligation to pay our taxes, our civic duty, our responsibility to give what we owe, these very same people, almost all of them, would say that the college grads you know, have taken out loans shouldn't have to repay those loans. As it has done with many other words, the left has twisted the concept of obligation and distorted it until it, it's no longer recognizable. In what sense is paying taxes an obligation? Well, it's illegal in a legal sense. You have to pay them because if you don't, you'll go to jail. It's a pretty good reason to pay them. It's why I pay them. Uh, I have no choice. I'm legally required. But what about student loans, though? Well, you are legally required to pay those back, too. Um, so there is a, a legal obligation, but only in this case, it has the extra moral weight of being an obligation that you personally accepted and entered into, chose. Nobody chose the obligation of paying taxes. The government just tells you what the taxes are, uh, whether you like it or not. And if you don't pay it, they're going to take it by force. They can throw you in jail. They could take your house, whatever, whatever they want. But with student loans, you agree to the terms. You don't have to agree. You can say no. You can decline to take on the obligation. Yet somehow for the left, this obligation that is willingly entered into somehow has less moral weight than the obligation that is thrust upon you against your will at gunpoint. So this is their idea of civic duty. And then we could add into that, by the way, that uh, they don't consider it much of a uh, an infringement or a, or a denial of your civic duty if you go loot and riot and burn down stores and steal stuff. That, that also is, 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 is uh, perfectly in keeping with your civic duty. So these, these concepts and words have been all twisted to hell and back. And that, of course, is, is part of the point. What they want is people to be confused about what their duties are, what their obligations are, and what moral weight all of these things have. That is all that is always the goal of the left, is to confuse people, and we can tell that they have very much succeeded. Uh, let's get to our five headlines. You know, it's never a good feeling when that check engine light comes on, or maybe the car starts, it starts you get a little, you hear that weird sound, or there's a little bit of a weird smell. You know, you, you, whenever that happens, you get that, I know for me, that feeling in the pit of your stomach, and you just think, oh my gosh, what is this going to cost me? Well, that is, that is how I used to feel until I got CarShield. Now I don't have to worry about any of that anymore. CarShield offers a wide range of protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair, which means that um, check engine light comes on, you get that weird sound, whatever it is, it's a lot less scary when that happens. You have the, the freedom to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work, and CarShield gets the rest taken care of, even if your car 
breaks down while you're traveling, the choice of a repair shop is still up to you. On top of that, there's no long-term contracts or commitments. Payments are flexible. CarShield plans are customizable to meet your exact needs. CarShield has over 1 million drivers, and there's a reason for that because this is just, uh, it just works for you. In the end, it's a, it's a, it's a positive for you. Uh, and a lot of peace of mind comes with it as well. That's why they're America's number one auto protection company. Uh, and uh, that's, why, that's why I keep coming back to it. In the end, you save a lot of money, but also just not having to worry that the engine light comes on, whatever it is. You don't have to have all that anxiety. I used to dread car repairs, but with CarShield, I have peace of mind. Get coverage today and see why CarShield cars go farther. Call 800-665-2157 and mention Code Walsh or visit carshield.com and use Code Walsh to save 10%. That's carshield.com, Code Walsh. A deductible may apply. All right, well, the media is digging for an Amy Coney Barrett scandal, and they just they, they, they think they found one finally. Uh, here's what they came up with. This is from the AP. It says, President Donald Trump's nominee for the U.S. Supreme Court has close ties to a charismatic Christian religious group that holds that men are divinely ordained as the head of the family. Former members of the group call people of praise, um, called people of praise say it teaches that wives must submit to the will of their husbands. Federal appeals uh, judge Amy Coney Barrett has not commented publicly about her own or her family's involvement uh, and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, but Barrett, 48, grew up in New Orleans in a family deeply connected to the organization. As recently as two, 2017, she served as a trustee at the People of Praise-affiliated Trinity Schools Incorporated. People of Praise is a religious community based in charismatic Catholicism, a movement that grew out of the influence of Pentecostalism, which uh, emphasizes a personal relationship with Jesus. Barrett's affiliation with a conservative religious group that elevates the role of men has drawn particular scrutiny given that she would be filling the high court seat held by Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a feminist icon. Um, Barrett, by contrast, is being hailed by religious conservatives as an ideological heir to the late Justice Scalia. Okay. Well, so she belongs to a group that says that wives should submit to their husbands. Um, horrifying, horrifying stuff. But, but just so you know, the, the actual name of this kooky, fringe, far-right group is Christians who believe in the Bible. Okay, that, that's, that's the actual name. Because, well, all Christians who believe in the Bible believe this because it's in the Bible. Uh, th this is where you see how the media, obviously, they hate Christians, obviously, but they have difficulty smearing Christians effectively because they don't know anything about Christianity. They're very biblically illiterate. I bet whoever wrote this AP article, for example, didn't know that the Bible specifically says, wives submit to your husbands, Ephesians 5.22. One of my favorite verses, by the way, um, and one that I will often cite to my wife if we're, say, arguing over what movie to watch on a Friday night. Then I got to pull out the Bible and say, it says it right here, St. Paul, what can I tell you? Okay, it's not me, it's him, he's telling you. But uh, the media doesn't know that. That's why they don't, nowhere in the article is it even mentioned that, oh, that this is how they interpret the Bible verse, or not that there's any other way to interpret it, because uh, they just don't know that. By the way, a, a devout Catholic, quote-unquote devout Catholic, Joe Biden, what about him? He also believes this, right? If he, is a, if he really is a devout Catholic, which he isn't because he's pro-abortion, you can't be devout Catholic and pro-abortion, but Let's just pretend for a moment, as the media wants us to pretend, that he's devout Catholic. Well, in that case, then he believes this too. And if we had a real news media, they would ask him about this. They would say, hey, uh, uh, Joe, what, what do you feel about this? Ephesians 5.22. Uh, do, do you think wives should submit to their husbands? 
I would love to see the way that he he wiggles himself out of that, but he's not going to be put in that position because he's not going to be asked about it. Uh, number two, Tucker Carlson had this report last night. Uh, take a listen. More and more lawmakers are calling for a nationwide rule on wearing face coverings. Senator Dianne Feinstein has written to federal agencies asking for a mandatory mask policy, both in the air and on public transit. Well, that was news footage from June, just this June, when California Senator Dianne Feinstein wrote a letter to the FAA demanding everyone wear masks in airports. Feinstein wrote that we need a mandatory mask policy for all airport and airline employees and passengers, end quote. Feinstein claimed the agency had, quote, sowed confusion among passengers about whether masks are necessary. But they are necessary, says Dianne Feinstein. Not wearing them is very dangerous given the coronavirus. Well, given that, today, this show exclusively attained photographs of, and this is going to rock your world, Dianne Feinstein in a private terminal at Dulles Airport, an FBO, as they say, in private aviation, on Friday. In the photographs, Feinstein can be seen smiling without a mask on. One might even say she's sowing confusion about whether or not masks are necessary. So there you go. It, you know what annoys me about these kinds of things, aside from the obvious, uh, is the reaction from the public who treat, some in the public, who treat this sort of thing as a cheap gotcha tactic, you know, criticizing Feinstein for not wearing a mask, Pelosi for breaking the lockdown rules, Mayor Lightfoot, de Blasio, et cetera. So many have done it. But the attitude from some citizens, namely ones with partisan bias in favor of the party that keeps doing this, the reaction is to go, oh, come on, you know, it's not that big of a deal. But it is a big deal. It's a very big deal. Because these people have brought our country to a standstill, have decimated the, con the economy, have torn the Constitution to shreds, imposing all these rules and laws on the basis that they're doing it to save lives, but their behavior reveals that they don't really believe their own reasoning. They don't believe the reasons that they are giving for any of this, which raises an obvious question. Why are they really doing it? If they don't believe it, then why are they doing it? Once again, going back to the first point, if we had a real news media, this would be a question that would be, uh, would be asked. Number three, Daily Wire reports transgender inmates in California will now be housed according to uh, their gender identity thanks to a new law signed Saturday by Governor Gavin Newsom. The law states that prison officers must privately ask inmates going through the intake process if they identify as transgender, non-binary, or intersex. Okay, so that every inmate who comes in is going to have to be asked now. Hey, are you, are you non-binary? If the inmate indicates one of those identities, they will be allowed to request a move to the facility that houses their preferred gender. Oh my gosh. This is... There is a caveat to the new law, however. If the state has management or security concerns, it will provide a written explanation of why it denied an inmate the chance to be housed according to his or her gender identity. Um... This exception is not included because the state believes men will claim to be women in order to harm female inmates, but because it believes male inmates will attack biological women to identify as men, who identify as men. Okay, well, I mean, what could possibly go wrong here? So, so, so now, according to this, it sounds like um, they're going to ask each inmate. So, you know, they're, they're, what could go wrong when you go up to an inmate and say, hey, by the way, um, you go up to a male inmate, biologically male. Hey, are, are you um, do you have, are you actually a woman? Because if you are, you can go over to the woman's prison. Just just let us know. Hey, honor system. 
Oh, but that, that will never be exploited, right? So you see again how this just, um, how the, the, for all of the, the, the talk we hear about on the left and Democrats, how they care so much about women's rights and protecting women, they don't give a damn. They, they, they don't give the slightest damn. At least when, when women's rights, their actual rights, okay, um, are, are put up against the LGBT agenda, you know, because there is this hierarchy, this intersectional hierarchy, this victimhood hierarchy that we've talked about. And women are really pretty low on, on, the, on the hierarchy scale. LGBT, they're above them. So their concerns and their desires come first. So we're going to throw their safety out the window, their privacy out the window. And uh, if, uh, you know, you got a bunch of male prisoners that say, oh, yeah, sure, I, I'm, 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 a, I'm a female. Yeah. In fact, I, I woke up yesterday and realized I was a female, as it turns out. So, yeah, go, go ahead and send me over to the women's prison. Number four, NPR reports um, young adults are known for taking to the streets in protests. Now there's a youth-driven push to bring more of them to the ballot box. Tyler Okiki, a 19-year-old activist, is among those who champion lowering the voting age from 18 to 16. Okiki is working to increase the number of eligible voters in, in the country's most diverse generation and amplify their voices on decisions that will affect their future. Uh, and then it goes on from there, talking about his, his efforts to lower the voting age to 16. There's, of course, absolutely no good reason to even consider lowering the voting age to 16 or lowering it at all to any age. If anything, we should be raising it. The only reason why it's being considered is that it would help Democrats, which is not a good reason unless you are a Democrat, and then I can see why you'd be in favor of it. Um, But in reality, objectively, our republic cannot at all be helped by this. The last thing we need are more people who are ignorant and non-contributing filing into the voting booth. That's, That's the last thing we do. We don't need more of them. If you're 16 years old, and I say this, and anyone who's over the age of 16, you you know this too, because you you have had the experience of being 16. Would you say at 16 that you were really in touch, like you you understood what was happening in the country, you had a a really solid perspective, um, and you were a real contributing member of society, you were emotionally and mentally mature, would you say that about yourself at the age of 16? Because if you would, then all that tells me is that you haven't grown at all from the age of 16, which means that you probably shouldn't be able to vote now, whatever age you are. But anyone who's done any growing, any maturing, which maybe is a dwindling minority, uh, we can look back at ourselves at 16 and say, no, don't give, you're going to give that person the right to vote? Are you crazy? No. Raise the voting age to 25. Raise it to 35. Well, I'm not 35 yet, so don't do that. Just raise it, raise it, raise it to right where I'm at, and then, uh, and then, a, a, as I as I get older, we can keep raising it along with me. That's the way the law should work. Number five, important report from the Daily Mirror: um, a group of parrots at a zoo had to be put back into isolation when they all started swearing at customers after coming out of quarantine. The five African gray parrots were adopted by Lincolnshire Wildlife Park on August 15th and put into a room together. But it appears they used their time in isolation teaching each other foul language which left park staff in hysterics, but swift action had to be taken when they started using obscenities with guests. Steve Nichols, CEO at the Frisney Park, said the birds were put in a timeout, but admitted over the last 25 years, he's taken in many parents that, that, parrots that have sometimes had a bit of blue language. 
Uh, he told Lincolnshire Live, every now and then you'll get one that swears, and it's always funny. We always find it very comical when they do swear at you. Uh, but then he continues that the problem is that now they're, they're, they are um, swearing at uh, guests, and there's a concern that, especially with children coming back to the zoo, they're going to start swearing at the kids. It'd be very traumatizing to get cussed out by a parrot. And so now they're isolating the parrots, and they're actually going to break them up and put the parrots with more responsible. Each, each of the five bad parents, delinquent parents, pet parrots will go with, with one of the responsible parrots. And then hopefully there will be some, you know, they'll, speaking of maturing, they'll learn to mature that way. Uh, very disturbing report all around. And a pretty serious infringement on free speech. I don't remember anything in the Constitution saying that you can't swear at guests at a zoo. I don't seem to recall that in there. Of course, this is a British zoo, and these are parrots, but I don't see how that has any relevance to the legal case I'm making here. And besides, you can't blame them for swearing. Um, I'd be a little salty, too, if I was locked in a zoo, and if I was a parrot, frankly, as well. All right, we're going to get to our daily cancellation in just a second. It's a very important one. I know I always say that, but this one, this one you can't miss. This is, this is a daily cancellation that's more important than I originally thought it was. We're going to talk about that in a second, but this is important as well. Um, new sponsor on the show, My Pillow. Look, uh, we all know the value of a good good night's rest. In fact, you you learn the value of a good good night's rest when you don't get one. If you if you struggle to get uh, to sleep well at night, as I have struggled in the past, then that's when you really realize what you're missing, um, and that's where My Pillow can really help. Uh, and ever since I started using My Pillow, I've been sleeping a lot better. Uh, Mike Lindell is the inventor of MyPillow. Mike's latest deal is on his Giza Dream Sheets, which are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They're ultra soft, they're breathable, very durable. Um, right now, the Giza Dream Sheets are at a, a two-for-one low price, plus free shipping with promo code DAILYWIRE. All of the MyPillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I could say with, my, with, with, especially with the, with the pillow, you know, there, there is a little bit of a, of a struggle, a little bit of a fight with my wife because she's always trying to steal the pillow. But um, what I like about it is that it's very soft, but it's also, it's kind of this combination of soft and firm. It's exactly what you're looking for in a pillow. So it doesn't doesn't feel like you're laying your head on a you know bag of feathers because that's not what you want either. But it's also not like you're laying on cardboard. And I think most pillows that you get at the store are kind of, they go to one extreme or the other, not my pillow. I've been sleeping a lot better ever since I started using it. So just go to mypillow.com, click on the radio listeners square to check out the two for one low price on the Giza Dream Sheets plus free shipping. There are also deep discounts on all other my pillow products too. Enter promo code DAILYWIRE or call 800 651 1148 for these great radio specials. What other point? Uh, before we get to the daily cancellation, uh, tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, Donald Trump and Joe Biden, Joe Biden facing off in the first debate, as we've been talking about today. And uh, you can join us for an all-new episode of Daily Wire Backstage to watch the debate with us and get our immediate live reaction to this major political event. And even better, you can join Daily Wire now as an insider or all-access member and get 20% off with, co- with code DEBATE. So you can watch all the debate coverage live on our Apple TV or Roku app. Members get our articles ad-free. You get access to our live broadcast. You get the show libraries. You get the full three hours of Ben Shapiro show. Exclusive readers pass content available only to the Daily Wire members. You get that too. If you become an all-access member, you get to join our all-access live uh, broadcast every night. 
where we you know have these live stream discussions that are a lot of fun, very casual, back and forth. You also get not one but two leftist tiers tumblers with your membership, as well as early and sometimes exclusive access to new Daily Wire products. So you get all of that. Plus, you can watch the debate with us on dailywire.com, YouTube, Facebook. Get 20% off your Daily Wire membership with code DEBATE when you sign up today. All right, let's get to the daily cancellation. So today, our daily cancellation deals with one of the crucial issues facing our country and indeed all of Western civilization, and that would be emojis. Specifically, male-induced emojis, or MIE, as they are called in the medical field. Last night, I was actually trending. I was trending nationwide on Twitter. And you can see the photographic evidence right here. Trending nationwide, and also hundreds and hundreds of infuriated private messages because of something I said about emojis. Now, you might say that this is a reflection of the fact that we live in the dumbest, most frivolous, and utterly decadent culture in, in world history, where even in the midst of crisis, a guy's tweet about emojis manages to grab hold of the country's attention. But I prefer to think that I was trending because I'm just a really important and brilliant guy. Tomato, tomato. You can interpret it however you like. Whatever the reason, here was the tweet that brought the world to a halt. Um, I said, every day I see more grown adult men using emojis. There is no excuse for this. Emojis are for children and women. Do you think your great-grandfather would have been caught dead using emojis if the internet existed back then? Have some self-respect for God's sake. Lest you doubt that I, lest you doubt that I, am, I am kind and merciful, I did make this allowance. I said, gifts are okay, though. Memes are a case-by-case basis, okay? Now, so those are the rules. Now, before I elaborate here, let's go through some of the responses to this tweet about emojis. Um, As I said, many, many very angry people. Let's take a look at a few. John Pavlovitz says, well, I hear my great-grandfather wasn't big on insecure dude bro misogynists, so he'd laugh at Matt Walsh for his transparent overcompensation and point out that, that his Christianity is short one Jesus. And then he called Matt a fragile, tiny clown. Tom Thoyne chimes in, Alexa, show me what the most pathetic, toxic masculinity looks like. Gibson Johns, uh, with a totally normal and sane response to a tweet about emojis, which has since been deleted, but it said, masculinity is a disease. Again, that was a response to what I said about emojis. James Fell, uh, once again, very healthy, very normal. He says, I've never used emojis. As a a professional writer, I don't like them, but instead prefer to challenge my vocabulary. That being said, this sanctimonious sack of otter snot. What a brainless, festering knuckle. Eat excrement and expire early, Matt. Okay, telling me to die because of what I said about emojis. Nothing overblown about that. Then Alan Zilberman comments with a bunch of poop emojis. Um, David Lauer is, uh, is one of many to leave the middle finger emoji. Kayla says, children and women, ugh. Some sexism and toxic masculinity all rolled up into one. Seth Abramson is, uh, is in on the action. He comments that this comment is beyond is, is stupid beyond belief as well as misogynistic, goes without saying to anyone who reads my feed. But as a separate point, every comment I've ever received from a male Trumpist had an emoji in it, which makes Trumpist Matt Walsh saying this truly mind-blowing. Yes, I'm a Trumpist now, sure. Okay. Uh, Jake Wilson with the middle finger emoji says, You manage to be homophobic and misogynistic in one joke. So it's homophobic to make fun of emojis now. Apparently emojis are an integral part of gay culture. According to Jake Wilson, anyway, you learn something new every day. But then a lot of this kind of thing in the private messages, as you can see, uh, telling me to eat excrement, uh, calling me a bigot, bigoted against emojis. 
The pro emoji guys seem to have a real thing about eating excrement. I don't know. I guess we can we can dig into the psychology behind that some other time. And then Mike Williams says, men are so fragile on this site. And the crazy thing is, he's apparently talking about me and not talking about all the grown men hysterically crying because I made fun of their little pictures. Now, I have a few things to say here. Okay. First, I start with, and I don't often do this, as you know, but I, I, I start with uh, an apology. After reading all of these responses and, and really getting a sense for how people are feeling, uh, feeling about it, how it affected them, I'd like to apologize that I said emojis are for women and children. I, w- I, I should have mentioned that they're also for illiterates. So I apologize for that oversight. Second point, um, to the people who are angry that I lumped women and children together, all I have to say is this. If you're a woman and you want to be lumped in with children when the ship is sinking, giving you that VIP pass to the front of the lifeboat line, then you have to put up with being lumped together in these sorts of insulting generalizations. That's the price of admission. I think it's a pretty good deal, I I have to say. I'd take it if the ship was sinking and someone said, okay, you can can get off with the children, but that means we get to make fun of you later. Fine. Um, Third point. The real reason, though, that I will allow emojis for children is that we cannot expect more sophisticated communication from them. You know, if you're at if you're at the age where you still read books with pictures, then it's okay to type with pictures too. I allow them for women because, along with the fact that they don't have to drown on the Titanic, they also are more aesthetically inclined. They like to make things look pretty and pleasing to the eye. Women are also more exuberant and emotional. Emojis are useful to this end, though only within reason. I will not allow them for men because. Men don't have any of these excuses. As men, we communicate our meaning plainly and without the frills. You shouldn't need the assistance of smiley faces. You should be able to convey your message by using words in the form of complete sentences. You know, I think of emojis much the same way I think of ketchup. Ketchup, which is also, by the way, only for women and children. Um, If you feel like your ketchup, like, like, uh, like you need ketchup for your french fries, that only tells me that your french fries are not well seasoned. If you feel like you need emojis for your sentences, that only tells me that your sentences are not well-seasoned. That is, you have not done a sufficient job of expressing yourself through the use of actual language. You have not, you have not the vocabulary to season your written expressions with language that creatively conveys your meaning. I think what we're witnessing in modern times is the collapse of language. The collapse. That's why people say, you know, they need the emoji so that others will know their tone and their meaning when they text or email or post something on social media. They don't have the ability to get their point across in an effective way, so they need little signs, little drawings that essentially say, me happy, me like. That's what every smiley face emoji says, by the way. That, that, to translate it into language, it would be, me happy, or me sad, or me laughing, you funny. Emojis are quite literally the language of the caveman. In fact, Many of the responses to my point cited in defense of emojis, cave paintings. Responses like this with a photo of some cave paintings, which is supposed to prove that emojis are an acceptable form of communication for modern civilized man. But this is like trying to dispel the idea that pop music is degenerate by arguing that they play it in strip clubs. Your argument against my point actually illustrates my point precisely. Yes, Prehistoric man, before the invention of sophisticated written language, did use a form of emoji when they were scrawling messages on the wall of a cave. But we should no more seek to emulate the caveman's communication style than his medical practices or his hygiene routine. We have graduated beyond those crude forms. A return to them is not a good sign. In this case, 
with writing and language, it's a sign that people are losing their ability to convey meaning through the written word. That is not a positive development. And so, emojis are canceled. All men who use them are canceled. Everyone who jumped on the Twitter dog pile is canceled. Or to express this in a way you'll understand, you bad, you stupid, you not right good, you canceled. I hope that clarifies things. Tune in tomorrow because I'll have another 10 minute um, explanation as to why men also are not allowed to use exclamation points. I could do a whole series on punctuation as well. We'll get to that later. But I think that's quite enough for today. Have a great day, everyone. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. Democrats catch Trump in a major non-troversy. Project Veritas uncovers an illegal ballot harvesting ring in Ilhan Omar's district, and a top Democrat senator admits they can't stop Amy Coney Barrett. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.